Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Got a little excited singing that song. Forgot to turn my mic on. Good morning. Okay, well, this is message number three in this Wisdom for the Family series. We're going to start off in Proverbs chapter 20 in just a moment. had a typo on the schedule. It's actually going to be verse 25, not 5. So let me me clear something up really quick um, before we get started, because a few people came in this morning and asked me if we were having steaks um, at church today. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, I read the sign out front when I pulled in, holy cows under attack. I said, oh, we're talking about vows, not cows. So you can clear that up. Sorry if that was, if that was a letdown for anybody. So today we're talking about vows. Um, what is a vow is your commitment. It's our commitment to follow through with what we said that we would do. And so we're, we're in wedding day material right here. Okay, so there's, there's love stirring in the air. There's, there's, there's some engaged couples in the house. So all kinds of excitement this morning. So I want you to recall for just a minute, um, when, when you were a child, how easily as children, most of us said things, we made commitments, and really, we had no idea what we were saying. Um, you were told to keep a secret, and, and you said, I swear on my grandmother's grave, I won't tell. A few of you out there did that. Um, some of us said, I cross my heart and hope to die. Then you step back and think about it, you're like, who come up with that stuff? It's just craziness. Um, Maybe some of you were the little girls that just, you wanted to secure your friendship uh, with a friend growing up. And so you you bought each other those necklaces. You know, you wear half the heart and she wears half the heart and and just, we're going to be best friends forever. How's that working out for you? You probably ain't heard from her in like 10 years, right? And so it's funny how we make those commitments. I think for guys, for a lot of us guys, we went a little stronger than that. We made uh, pinky promises. And so now I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know how well you can see back there. See those pinkies? They're really crooked. So um, at a young age, I learned the hard way. Don't make pinky promises with men that are much stronger than you. Come back to get you. Um, so yeah, I was, I was born that way, just for the record. So, uh, uh, but it's, here's the thing. It's interesting that as children, we commit to things, we say things, and we don't really know uh, always what we're saying, but it, it's, it's also neat that when an adult says something to you as a child, oh, you bank on it. You just know as a child that if an adult tells you something, they're, they're going to do it. I mean, you are, you are counting on it. If, if they tell you we're going such and such place Saturday, I mean, you're counting down the day, so Saturday, because you're going, it's as good as done. If a teacher told you in school, if everyone passes the test, we're going to have an ice cream party on Friday, and then everyone passes the test, there better be ice cream in that room on Friday, or there's going to be a throwdown, right? Because you're banking on them keeping their word. You may not keep your word as a child, but an adult had better keep their word uh, to you growing up. So... Um, But here's the thing, eventually, all of us as children grew up and and became adults. And as parents and and as a church, it is our high calling to help children make the transition 
that your word, your commitment matters. And as, as they're growing up, we want to help them to, to understand their word is, is, is meant to honor God and to follow through with it. Because eventually, a young man and a young lady look at each other in the eyes on that special day. And they give each other words. We call these words marriage vows. And there is a weightiness to these vows. I just want us to just to soak in a little deeper today, a little stronger, and just let God minister to our hearts and, and, and how we think through either preparing for that day or just looking back on those words that we once spoke. So if you would, uh, please stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's holy inerrant, inspired, infallible word. We're going to read one verse in Proverbs 20, verse 25, which says, it is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. Let's pray. Father, as we just dive into this text, we thank you that You're a covenant-keeping God. And when you speak it, it's done. We ask this morning that you would help us to be more like you with our words, with our actions, and with how we follow through. And only you can minister to every heart with a text like this in the way that you know is best. And we ask that you do that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So Proverbs 20, verse 25, is, is speaking broadly, right? The text simply is telling us that if a person gives their word, but really has no idea what they're even saying or doesn't think through what they're committing to, they will be like an animal caught in a trap. Okay? Pretty simple, practical, makes sense. But sometimes we give our, we give our word, Hey, can you meet me at noon tomorrow and help me load that on my truck? Sure. And then you show up, and it's kind of a one-time vow. It's a one-time commitment. You show up and you do it. But when we're thinking about wisdom for the family, and the wedding day is the exchange of vows, those are lifetime commitments. Those are like, can't you show up one day and I fulfilled my vows? It's like every day, all day, for the rest of your life, vow. How do we dive into this idea of wisdom for a family and just reclaim the splendor and the holiness of giving someone your your word? Because the enemy loves for people to foolishly walk down an aisle on their wedding day, have a clue in the world what they're about to say, say the word, say I do, get married, and then go out not knowing God's love, not knowing God's roles for them as husbands and wife, and then just live trapped in that chaos and just then the whole family just grow up under that. That's, the enemy loves that. So as a church, we want to continue to reclaim what God wants for us, for the family, and just our words. So the big idea today, I just want you to everyone to think through whatever age you are, wherever you're at in life, how will God and the other person be honored by what I vow to do? give more weight 
to our words and to our commitments. And so let me say this as we, we're going to dive back into Genesis 2. If you're single, and, and, and I realize that there's people like Jesus and like the Apostle Paul that, are, that, are, that grow older and are single and they have no desire and no calling to ever be married, just because you don't choose to get married doesn't mean that you are disqualified from speaking to somebody and encouraging or shepherding someone that's in your life about the principles of God's word and what we're about to talk about. Sometimes people really believe that if I have never experienced it, then I can't help anybody with it. If I never, if I never lived as, uh, as a drunk, then I can't help somebody who's struggling with alcohol. And that's just not true. We have the word of God and, and we're given opportunities to shepherd people with it. And so what we're going to do for just a little bit is step back into Genesis 2 and we're going to step into the wedding day and just look at how God worked every detail out of this day in order for us to elevate and honor him with the words that we give to our spouse. And so if you would, um, as, as we step back into Genesis 2, I want you to think for a moment what we've already looked at. Adam was created in a season of singleness, right? Apart from Eve, before Adam and Eve, there was Adam and God. And God used that time to prepare Adam to lead Eve. And then later on, Eve was created. She was created from Adam. She wasn't created apart from him. She was a part of him. And so she was created to be his helpmate and Eve's value and uniqueness wasn't lost or elevated when she was created and for the purpose she was created. And so we saw last week in Genesis 2 that God brought Eve to Adam. And, and we just, we just kind of just let that sink in again, what Ethan was talking about, that before Eve was with Adam, she first walked with and in the presence of God. It's good for our daughters to know, isn't it? Before Eve was united with Adam, she walked with God, and God led her to the man. And so maybe you can think about God walking Eve down the aisle on her wedding day. And in Genesis 2, the woman becomes a wife. That's how we know there's a marriage ceremony. And, and it's, it's here in this moment that God defines what marriage is. He ordained it. And he, and he really shows the world that a male and a female, a man and a woman as they're biologically born and created, who are in right relationship with him, is what makes a marriage start. This is where family begins. And God has never changed his stance on that definition from then until now. And so when we look at verse 24, we see God responding to this wonderful thing that he has just began and given to all humankind. He says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. Now this is KJV, but it's, it's good because there's two commands and it's really easy to memorize and just store up in our hearts. Leave and cleave. And from these two commands, the entire wedding ceremony revolves around. What do they mean? What are all the implications to these commands? And I just want to kind of flesh out for a moment that these two commands help us to see really three things. 
a commitment to God, a covenant with God, and a celebration of God. Now, if you're a note taker, I'm going to put that on the screen in just a moment. But in one verse, God says, this is what I want your marriage ceremony to be about, and this is what I want your vows to be centered around. Flesh it out. And so when we think about leaving, whenever you leave to go somewhere, you take a suitcase with you. So here's my suitcase. And whenever you're leaving, you only put in your suitcase what is needed. You take with you what is needed and you leave behind the things that are not needed. So we want to soak in for a moment, what kind of commitment is God asking of us whenever he tells us to leave, to leave father and mother? It sounds kind of threatening at first, but we want to see that God's, God has our best interest at heart. And as parents, we want to understand that one day, if your children grow up and want to get married, they're going to leave you in obedience and in commitment to God. So what does that, what does that mean exactly? And how does it deepen our understanding of of a family. Well, God has always asked people to leave. This has kind of been his character throughout the Bible. God told Noah, I need you to be committed to building an ark. Why? Because you're leaving. Your whole family's going to leave. I'm going to judge the earth for its wickedness and only put on the ark, Noah, what you need. God gave Noah the wisdom to put on what to put on the ark, what to not put on the ark, and then brought the animals to him. God told Abraham in Genesis 12, you're leaving. Why am I leaving? You're leaving your father's house. You're leaving your home country. You're leaving your family. Where am I going? I'll show you. I need you to be committed to leaving. And if you're committed to leaving, you'll be committed to following my lead. And I'll bless you and make you a great nation. So he took with him his livestock, family, and possessions. Moses, God told, when he was 80 years old in the wilderness, you're going to leave. Where am I going? You're going back to Pharaoh. What do I tell Pharaoh? Let my people go because they're leaving too. Okay, what do I need? What do I need in my suitcase? God said, take your staff and then I'll provide Aaron. Because remember, Moses really struggled with his speech. And then we think about Jesus. What did he ask of his disciples to leave? James and John leave Zebedee. Peter and Andrew, James, John, leave the family business, leave the boats, leave your nets. So they left their nets and they followed him. God loves to ask people to leave. He asked Matthew to leave the tax booth. So he left the tax booth. He asked Mary Magdalene, leave your past, leave your sin, leave the seven demons behind. You don't need them anymore. So when God asks people to leave, it's not a threat. It's not an attack on the family. So we come back in to the wedding ceremony in Genesis 2, and, we th and we're reminded that almost every ceremony starts off this way. Who gives the bride to the groom? Who's giving Jack to be married to Jill? And we do that because God commanded in Genesis 2.24, leave. You're leaving. And this is meant to be a very special moment where the father is giving his daughter away. Husband, the, the groom has already left. He's like, see you later. And this is meant to be a moment where you're honoring the parents for investing their lives into raising their, those children, and now they're leaving. I will forever cherish the day that Jennifer's dad 
placed her hand in my hand when Noah gave the command. I mean, I just sat there and thought, you just gave me your most prized possession, your daughter. You're entrusting her to my care and my well-being. I mean, just as men, we just want to soak that in. A man gave his daughter to another man to love and to lead. And we just take that in when you're thinking about leading your family. And so for a moment, I want you to think, whenever someone is getting ready to get married, there's a reason that we always do. Ethan, Ben, myself, and and other men, we refuse to do a wedding. You'd be surprised how many people reach out to this church from Florida. Hey, I'm coming to the mountains. Will you marry me? And we're like, uh, you got got six months of pre-marriage discipleship? And they're like, oh, no, not interested. And we're like, "We, we, we, we won't do it. We won't do it. And here's why. We need time to get to know the individual, and to study the new roles that they're stepping into on that day. And so we meet for weeks and weeks, and we, we look and see that God is calling a husband to love and to lead his family, to intentionally serve his family and be present with his family, to understand and honor his wife and children if they have them in the future. And, and then to provide and protect them. And then we stop and we ask the bride and the groom that are engaged. So what did you see growing up that looked like that or didn't look like that? It's not an attack on the mom and dad. But here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. <clears throat> we're trying to dig in and we're trying to say, you're leaving. And in your suitcase, there could be Brokenness. And if you're carrying brokenness from hurtful examples that you saw growing up, here's what, here's what God's asking you to do. God's asking you to leave it behind. You don't need that starting your new family. And it's, all, it's, you know, it's not the case every time. Then we, then we look at the role of a wife, that God calls a wife to love and respect and serve and honor her husband to display for the family the attitude of humility and modesty and beauty with a gentle and quiet spirit. She's a comforter and a nurturer. And we say, okay, so growing up in your home, what did it look like? What did it look like? And other times, it's, it's, it's so exciting. Whenever individuals can say, you know what? I saw this modeled between mom and dad. I saw them treat each other this way and this way. And I saw them work out arguments this way. And we say, you know what? That's a blessing. You've grown up in a family and you have these examples and you have these memories. And you have have these wonderful things that were taught and modeled to you. Keep that with you. Take it with you. You're leaving and you're starting your new family But that's a blessing that mom and dad passed on to you. And so as a church, we step back and say, every scenario is just different. And it's our calling as parents and as a church to give young men and women, or sometimes a remarriage, every good reason to leave behind the brokenness, the hurt, maybe a past failed marriage for whatever reason, and to then start this new journey Fresh, taking with them the things that are needed. And so the big idea here is marriage vows, because God says leave father and mother, marriage vows, 
are a commitment to God and to one another. Whenever the groom says, I, Jack, take you, Jill, to be my wedded wife. And then he fleshes out those vows. Awesome. But what he's saying and what we want to help him to understand before he makes that vow in the months prior to is this. You're le- Jack, you're leaving your family. Your family doesn't have authority over your new family. You left that family, started your own family. You're the leader. You're to submit to Christ and follow his lead. Take what is needed. And whenever the bride says, I, Jill, take you, Jack, to be my wedded husband. And then she follows that with all these juicy vows. We want her to know that she's leaving her family. She's stepping out from the authority and the covenant of mom and dad, and she's stepping into a covenant with this, this, this man she's going to call husband. And we want her to only take in her suitcase what is needed, because God said, I want you to leave. You have to leave. Now, it's interesting that Adam and Eve, in this moment in Genesis 2.24, they don't have mother, a mother and father, do they? Yet God is still... Making this the principle because he understands one day, Adam and Eve, you'll be a mother and a father. And you'll be shepherding your children to give them away to start their own family. You can't have the say-so over it. And so let's go back to verse 24 then. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. What is this command? Leave and cleave. The word cleave means to be joined To his wife. Hallelujah. Got to feel the testosterone, the excitement in the room. Men are grinning from ear to ear all over the building. Well, what does it mean that God says, I'm commanding you to be joined to your wife? This is a holy union. So here's the thing. Eventually, you hear the bride and groom say something like this in their vows. With deepest joy, I receive you into my life, that together we may be one. I take you now to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, lead, and to cherish, or to respect and honor, until death do us part, according to God's holy word, here to you I pledge my faithfulness. It's powerful words. The husband and wife are making a vow before God and man that I'm joining you in this oneness. God said to cleave, I'm leaving and I'm cleaving. I'm embarking with you on this new journey that God has created and said it's good. It's powerful. It's powerful words. And eventually, the minister, I like to ask And now before God and these witnesses, two people, 200 people, whatever the scenario is, the bride and groom are standing and we're asking now before God and these witnesses, will you, Jack, take Jill to be your wedded wife? And ask her the same thing. Will you love and comfort her, honor and keep her in joy or in sorrow and preserve with her this union, holy and unbroken until the coming of our blessed Savior? Jesus Christ, or until God by death shall separate you. And when he responds, I will. And when she looks at him in the eyes and says, I will. 
as a church, as parents, as shepherds, we want to elevate those words and that commitment to the highest degree. Because there is an enemy in this world that's seeking to tear down our homes, rip our children apart, rip our families apart, and just rip the church apart and wreak havoc on the lives of people that are trying to serve God. We're the ones that God has said, I want you to mean those words with everything in you. Here's the big idea. In that moment, the bride and the groom have just conveyed to the watching world, we just entered into a covenant with the living God and with one another. And I'm excited about it. That's the profession. That's the, the vow Marriage was never meant to be a snare. It was meant to be this holy, incredible covenant with God and with one another. And so now you just think of this. Maybe you're sitting here. Maybe there's teenagers. Maybe there's young adults. Maybe there's people watching online. The goal here is that this would raise your standards. In seeing the beauty and the holiness of what God has called a covenant, this would raise your standards for yourself. And for who you're willing to date. Because look, I mean, adults, you're married, be, be real for a minute. When you go back in your mind, we got to remember what it was like to just see her and think, wow, she is hot. And then you girls used to see him walk in and you'd say, he is so cute. Do they love Jesus? I don't know. She sure does look good. He sure does look good. Well, she is so fun to be with. Well, he just makes me laugh so much. Does he love Jesus? Is he someone that you can step into a covenant with God with? And then when he says those vows, he will give his life to keep those vows. Don't you want that for your daughters? Come on, dads. You want that for our sons? We want to raise up men and women that say, I'm going to have standards in who I say yes to and who I say no to. And when I see those red flags, I'm calling it off. I mean, this is, this is a covenant with God till death do us part. So maybe it helps to think that when we enter into this covenant, it's kind of like taking an umbrella with you. As moms and dads and as, as the church, a covenant is like an umbrella. I'm not going to pop this bad boy out, but if you can just imagine God holding the umbrella... And on that day, you and your wife step under the umbrella with him. Whenever we give them the example to the best that we can as a church and as parents growing up, they see that and it helps them to say, I want that. I see the happiness mom and dad have serving God and working things out and, and, and blessing and loving each other. But the reality is, is we know that there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of brokenness that pass on sometimes to children because a husband or a wife stepped out from under that umbrella and experienced the storm, stepped into a different role or in, into a place where God has never called them to be, and they stayed out there where the tornadoes and the hurricanes are, and it just wreaked havoc on the family. What we get to do as a church is to say, it don't have to be that way for you. 
It don't have to be. God has something so much more precious for you. Just stay under the umbrella. We'll share life with you. We'll walk together with you. And when you have a hard day and you don't understand things, call us. Let's meet. Why? Because we'll fight for this. Because God laid down his life for it. And so this is, this is exciting. And man, wouldn't you kind of like to be a little bit more aware of that as a teenager for some of us? You know, you remember those days as a teenager? Some of y'all that, weren't, that were born after the year 2000, you don't know what it's like to be on the phone. You're like 15. And you're like, I love you. I love you more. No, I love you the most. And you don't even know, but somebody else in the house picked up the line. And they're listening. And then they start sniggering, you know, and it's like, it's your buddy or something, or it's your grandma. For me, it's my grandma. I'm like, man, get off the phone. I'm trying to tell this girl I love her. And three weeks later, you're telling somebody else you love them too. I mean, it's just, when you raise your standards to what God wants, knowing you're one day going to enter into a covenant with him, it helps you to avoid so much of that drama, don't it? So we go to back to verse, actually, you just... Think for a moment how serious God takes a covenant. God made an everlasting covenant with Noah. It's never going to flood. The earth is never going to flood again. God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham. Look at the stars, Abraham. Your descendants will be more on the earth than you see in stars. Moses Here's the covenant. It's conditional. If the people will obey my voice, then they'll be a special treasure to me. But if not, then they won't. What happened with Moses' covenant? Well, a bunch of people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and then died in the wilderness. Then a bunch of other people followed Joshua and Caleb into the promised land. And then with Jesus, we have an everlasting covenant. Our sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit seals us. We are promised everlasting life forever will be with the Lord. We don't even have to question it. God takes a covenant serious. Let me go back to verse 24 one more time. And you just look at those last five words. When you leave and when you cleave, two becomes one. You become one flesh. You're joined soul to soul, spirit to spirit, and flesh to flesh. God loves to celebrate. This is a celebration. If you go back um, and, and, and just think of, think of Noah one more time, can you imagine how he felt whenever he, the ark rested and he saw the rainbow? Hallelujah, let's get off this boat. Y'all stink. I mean, it was a party. When Abraham held his son of promise for the first time, it was a celebration. Let's throw a party. Whenever Moses and the people crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, they sang, they celebrated. And you know they were throwing a party. They were celebrating on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in and sealed and filled those apostles. Jesus, God's word, wants the wedding day to be a celebration. And if you go back and read verse 23 and connect it to verse 24, what, you're, what you see in verse 23 is Adam meets Eve for the first time. And whenever Adam meets Eve, he doesn't look at her and say, my goodness, if you can do that with a rib, what can you do with an arm and a leg? 
He is fully satisfied. He is rejoicing. Thank you. He's thrilled. He doesn't need God to do anymore. He's celebrating what God has brought to him. And, and there's, you know, if you read verse 23, he calls her woman. And a lot of people think that Adam spoke English back then. And whenever he saw Eve coming to him, he said, whoa, man. But we know he didn't speak English, so you just have to figure it out for yourself. But he was excited. This is a celebration. And then God says, the woman has now become your wife. In verse 24, celebrate. You should celebrate. And so we should conclude that marriage vows are meant to be a celebration of God joining us together. When Jesus spoke about Genesis 2.24 and Mark chapter 10, he added to Genesis 2.24 this, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I mean, Jesus, who was single, had no problem talking about marriage. And Jesus said, I want who you marry to be the joining together of God initiating the whole thing. And that's, you know, maybe we're, some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, that's not how we started out. That's fine. But it doesn't have to be how we continue. And it doesn't have to be how we parent. We want to shepherd men and women, young and old, to understand God wants the lead role in this coming together. Because it all gets attacked in the next verse, doesn't it? And this is kind of where we're going to wrap up. In the next verse, we're just going to read one verse, but we know what happens in Genesis 3. Everything beautiful and wonderful that God just ordained gets attacked, and it's still being attacked today. The serpent, who is more cunning and more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, said to the woman, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I just want us to step back today and say, you know what, from then until now, he's been trying to create confusion and chaos around what God said. He loves to create doubt and distractions and divisions that ultimately lead to the destruction of the family. Let the church rise up and say, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to love and I'm going to serve my spouse on the good days and on the hard days. I want to love and serve and be intentional with, intentional with my children on the good days and on the really hard days because I know I'm preparing them for something much greater and the enemy wants to take it from them. So I think if we went, to, went through and fleshed out more of Genesis 3 all the way down to verse 6, we would all probably agree. The family will suffer with chaos and conflict when the serpent is permitted to confuse what God has said. But God has called us as shepherds of our homes and as the body of Christ to be very intentional in teaching and showing and modeling the word of God full of joy and with gladness in our hearts. Because when we watch how this, this trickled out and the hurt that come from it, I think we would all agree. We need God's grace to keep our vows we need his grace every day. I've never met a bride and a groom that perfectly fulfilled their vows on day one or day 20 or day 1,000 or whatever. We need 
God's grace in our lives. We need his mercy and his love because it's his grace that doesn't excuse us. It's his grace that strengthens us. It's his grace that wakes us up in the morning and says, yeah, you bombed at that when you lost it. Today's a new day. Go on it. Go apologize and then go for it. I'm with you. I'm here for you. That's as husbands and wives and moms and dads and as a church family. This is the grace that God committed to in Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve, you failed. I'm going to do something about it. And when we make this our aim, we will not stay in a trap on those days when we just royally fail at what we vowed to do X amount of years ago. Let's pray. Father, we're asking this morning that we could just look at the beauty of what you have created and called good and that you would help us as parents and as shepherds and influencers of all ages to be true to our vows, to find our strength and our fulfillment in our walk with you and that our families would get the overflow of what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would raise up young men and women of all ages to only want for themselves what you want for them and let us all together go for it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.